Hi, from New York City, I'm Freddie Ramirez of Restrung Magazine, and you're listening to Racquetball Restrung. Racquetball Restrung is an opportunity to hear from leaders, players, and influencers in the sport of racquetball, to hear their perspectives on the state of the sport today, as well as to get some insight on their careers and the influences that keep them passionate about racquetball. If you're familiar with Restrung Magazine or are a regular or sometimes reader of my blog, then my hope is that you find the conversations you hear on Racquetball Restrung relevant and insightful. If you're just hearing about Restrung Magazine and have even a small interest in racquetball, then please check out restrungmagazine.com or restrungmag.com. Also, follow us on Facebook, and we can be found on Twitter and Instagram. Definitely worth the look. We never post the same content on the feeds. Before I get started, I want to take a moment to mention the Reaching Your Dream Foundation. If you're a racquetball geek like I am, then you're someone who follows pro racquetball. The Reaching Your Dream Foundation is working to grow professional racquetball. I know the history behind RYDF, and something I can attest to is that this is a group that cares deeply about the future of racquetball. They are dedicated to providing promising young professionals with the opportunity to help them grow in the sport, and more importantly, as young, responsible people. Their main goal besides trying to create growth is that these young players understand how to pay it forward. So please, if you can, visit reachingyourdream.org. Help them and helping the future of racquetball pay it forward. It's been over a month since my last entry. March is always a good month for me because it marks the unofficial start of the outdoor season with Beach Bash taking place on those beautiful courts in Hollywood Beach, Florida. This year was unique for me in that there was also another big event held on those courts, one that combined racquetball, paddleball, and handball, the AF Pro Series. I experienced serious success in both events, and I owe the opportunity to gearbox racquetball and paddleball. They made it possible for me to show up and compete, something they've always been willing to do. It's a family, and Gearbox is truly a new generation company doing big things. I also appreciate the support I get from RYDF and Splathead Racquetball. My conversation in this episode of Racquetball Restrung is with the legendary Cliff Swain. Cliff has probably one of the most prolific careers in racquetball as a professional player. He's a USA Racquetball Hall of Fame inductee with more titles and accomplishments than I can probably list here. If you're interested in knowing more about Cliff, just Wikipedia Cliff Swain. I met Cliff in 2004 on the court of a tight semifinal match, and I can say we've been friends ever since. We've shared countless conversations over the years about racquetball, so it only makes sense to share a conversation with Cliff on Racquetball Restrung. In our conversation, Cliff shared his views on being a professional in the context of business. He talks about coaching in the top ranks. You'll also hear his thoughts on today's professional climate and his initial understanding of how the two tours would operate opposite of each other. You'll hear him tie in his thoughts on the state of racquetball in general. He shared his views about himself as a player about outdoor racquetball and doubles and its value for the engagement of racquetball overall. He shared his views on international racquetball and his experience both past and present. He also shared his views on various pro players and his take on his transition to coaching and how he relates to other notable coaches. We joined our talk as we were finishing up a discussion where he was sharing some of his thoughts regarding his signature racquetball business. I'll get to it. My conversation with Cliff Swain. Right. I kind of I wanted to be free and clear of any racket company if I could. 
you know, like make my own decisions and, you know, make, make my own money. And part of it was, you know, I don't, I don't think the players are, uh, well, I, I'd say they're, they're not making enough, but they're not doing enough to deserve more too. You know, what do you mean? I, they're I just mean, like they're, showing up to play. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, a couple, you know, say some of the guys are a little out of shape. It doesn't look good, but you know, the racquetball is in a weird state. It's not all their fault. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that each and every individual should, who's not doing everything they can do, whoever they are, right. there's some responsibility, you know? Um, before we get into that, because I'm definitely going to ask you about that. You were just talking about how busy you are. I wanted to ask you, you're kind of like in a unique position where the sport is concerned. I mean, you've had a tremendous amount of success. You're no longer playing professionally, but you're still living as a professional in racquetball. You you teach a lot. Is that a national thing? Like how how busy are you where that's concerned? Yeah, it's, it's national. I'm very busy. I have it locally at Lifetime Fitness. So, you know, I have like the regular club players, league players, you know, men's C, women's C type players. And then um, I have people that fly in from around the world for coaching, you know, people who are, you know, trying to do better for their country or on the tour, men, women. And, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it just takes a lot of time. <laughs> You know, like when someone comes here, it's it's great, but, you know, often they stay in my house and then I still have to balance that with all that I do here with people and players and then my store and my racket and the website, uh, all, all very time consuming and getting better and better, I guess, because I'm getting better and better help. Like the girl who runs my website is spectacular, Jen O'Meara, and uh, Mike Ladge kind of acts as the CFO, if you would, so he's does a lot of things that shave some time off, you know, things that I could just focus more on doing what I am probably better at. Right, know? right, right. So with that in mind, um, what's your take on coaching with today's professional? Is there enough coaching where that's concerned? Is there even a need for it? Or how do you how do you see that? Uh, is there a need for it? Is that what you said, Freddie? Well, like what's your basic take on today's professional and the need for coaching? where they're concerned. I mean, it could be anything. It could be maybe they don't need so much because of the tours or like what's your feeling? What's your take on that? Well, if they want to be the best that they can be and they want to be number one, or you know, if they want those two things, if they want to be the very best that they can be as quickly as they can get there and if they have true interest in being number one, then absolutely coaching is necessary. Or, I mean, I'm not saying that a person can't get to number one without a coach, but it's really unlikely and uncommon. I mean, Dave Peck helped me. He helped Sudley Monchik. He helped Menino. Like all of the best players have gotten the proper information and put it to use. And that's it. And it really is shocking to me, actually, where some players will go for advice rather than some of the better options. Like if I was going to be coached, if I was, if I wanted to be number one right now, I would go to Dave Peck. I would go to Sudley. I would go to Menino. I would go to people who have had the success, who who have played in the men's CBA, all the juniors tournaments, and then, of course, have had pro tour experience, and then even better, successful pro careers. So I, I don't think coaching racquetball and golf and tennis, like individual sports, is the same as coaching, say, a football team or a basketball team, where a lot of that is managerial, organization, delegation, and I think it's almost impossible to get the very best coaching from a person who has not been a professional. 
and even better, a successful pro- professional. It's just that I, I can't think of a case in, in racquetball history yet, and it's a young sport where you are going to get the best information from someone who has not played or someone who has not played professional. Right. Well, so. that makes total sense. I think part of the issue is also the climate of the professional tours or the climate that the professional tours are operating in. We mm-hmm. both know that now there are, quote unquote, two professional tours running. What's your what's your take on that, on the tours today? Do you think it's a positive thing? Do you think it's, you know, it could be better? Like, what are your thoughts on today's professional climate? Uh, I think it would be ideal. From, you know, when I first heard about the, the second tour coming along, what I heard was that there were going to be, you know, say two of two WRT events two weeks before an IRT event, and I thought that was really great because then all those young players from around the world, especially South America, could come up and play three tournaments with basically one set of airfare and expenses, and then you know use all that practice and experience and all the conditioning they got in those two weeks, and then bring it to the IRT and try to be number one in the world. I thought it was really, really great. I wish you know when I was coming up that that was around. That would have been really cool. But I guess we had it in a different way. You know, we had more open tournaments, and I don't know, it was just a little deeper all around. But now I don't know why the events seem to be on the same weekend occasionally, and I don't know fighting for events. I have no clue why all that goes on. But other than that, I think the more tournaments, the better, so that more young guys can, you know, strive to be number one in the world. Right. I think it's a matter of the two tours actually being able to work together um, where that's concerned. Because honestly, the the market's pretty thin with tournament directors that are able to raise the kind of money that is needed for pro stops. So it turns out that these two tours end up uh, competing for that. And in a lot of cases, you know, one tour or the other loses a stop because maybe a tournament director decides to go a different direction one year only because, you know, money's a little bit more attainable, maybe for the WRT or whatever the case may be. I mean, do you follow professional racquetball now? I mean, I know you're really busy, but on the time that you do have, is it something that, you know, you're you're looking to and how do you see it? What's your take on the way things look now? Uh, yeah, I enjoy watching. I enjoy playing. Um, I don't, you know, when I have time off, usually, you know, that's when I go hang, hang out with my family, not put on the IRT network and watch. But occasionally I do. I think it's still really exciting, really fun to watch. Is that what you're asking me, Freddie? Like, what well, I, I mean, you know, I kind of, I kind of wanted to get your feeling. I mean, we we all know that back when you were playing, there was much more attention drawn to professional racquetball, and nowadays, with kind of like the diluted tours and things happening overseas, is it frustrating to you to see that racquetball doesn't have the traction that it did when you were playing? Yeah, it's very disappointing to me, and I. I really think that, I don't know, you know, some people say it's a dying sport and I just don't think so. You know, Lifetime Fitness is all over the place with tons of courts, LA Fitness constantly adding courts. I think the problem is the organization of it at all levels and nobody really doing anything different. Just say when a, I don't know, someone tries to have a tour event, somebody wants to be a tournament director of a tour event, they do it the typical old fashioned way. They go ask, you know, 20 of their buddies for a thousand bucks and either they succeed at that or they fail. And no one has, I thought that when Doug Young kind of came up with his model, I thought that somebody else around the world would copy that and try to make money using that court and do it elsewhere and maybe even do it better than Doug. And no one has even come close. You know, I thought that portable court was just going to go to eventually tons of places and 
stop being in front of only racquetball players. I mean, you know, put it at, I don't know, boat races, boat shows, uh, carnivals, uh, U.S. Open surfing, extreme sporting events, just anywhere where there's, it's brought to new people. And that's just does not happen. Right. And right. so that part really bums me out. And then, you know, the actual watching of it, especially on the IRT, I really admire Kane's ability, but I don't see anybody really trying to do anything about it. You know, like some of the guys who have the talent don't get the proper coaching and don't or don't show up in shape, or some of the guys who are in shape just don't have the talent. Um, so we don't get to see the, the general racquetball public doesn't get to see anyone battle with Kane. And I know he's clearly he's number one and, and right now better than the other guys, but I just know that he's human. And if somebody tied together a few things like fitness, getting the proper information and desire. Whoever's out there is always lacking something right now. So then on top of all the little problems with racquetball, like diluted tours and, I don't know, general interest in certain cities, not so great. I don't know, a tournament director not knowing what they're doing so they don't fill the seats. And, and then you have, you know, Kane going out there and annihilating someone who's happy that they just made it to the finals or, I don't know, has the talent and they're diving around, but they're tired on Sunday because they're 15 pounds overweight. I just don't know how you can be on the tour and be 15 pounds overweight. And then, and then complain about not making enough money or not enough people being in the seats. That, like, to me, that's a person who should not be complaining. Someone who does everything they should, like, say, for example, Rocky, shows up in shape every single time, does everything right, on and off the court, giving it 100% every single time, never beats himself. That's a guy who should say, man, I wish <laughs> I'm doing everything here. I wish things were better. Right. You know, and I think lots of the other guys should be looking at themselves first and then, I don't know, just everybody doing, doing what they can do. Right, right. It's really interesting that you mentioned what you thought was going to happen with the portable court. I think, you know, idealistically, that's the plan. You know, it's like obviously Doug with the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open has to be profitable. It's been running for 20 years. You know, you can't run an event that size and have it be subsidized for 20 years. So obviously he's doing something right. But I, I think it has a lot to do with the commitment in, in terms of like everyone else. I think a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into that and obviously a lot of sacrifice. I, I just think today's climate doesn't really lend itself to that too much. I think everyone, you know, everyone wants a free racket. You know what I mean? Everyone wants, you know, every everyone wants to get paid to show up. You know what I mean? Rather than working together and saying, hey, look, if we show up, you know, we might be able to do something together. We may not make money right off the bat, but down the road, we may get some some momentum that can actually work. And I don't think I don't think people are sitting at a table and actually thinking that way. I think all these ideas about all these directions that we should be going and no one seems to even though they might they might have the same exact idea. They're just not willing to sit down and work on it. Yep. No. Yeah, I thought that there would be people who are knowledgeable, maybe some experience of running events, I don't know, education, <laughs> and the desire to make a couple hundred grand running one tournament a year. I just thought that that was going to be pretty easy. Right. It's, uh, to me, that with the building of the courts of the, of the other, you know, chains of clubs, I just thought that. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think the sport hasn't adjusted. I think when it was really big during your time and like the time before it, Things were different too, socially. I mean, we didn't have so many things to choose from 
to take our time. I mean, all you got to do is turn your laptop on and, you know, you got a hundred different things right in front of you that you could spend your time paying attention to. So I think in order for the sport to be able to adjust to that, there has to be like a deep and sincere recognition that in order for people to come together, you know, and it to pay off that those kinds of things have to be kind of like adjusted to. But personally, like, how do you see yourself as far as competitive play goes? I know you still get out there and you still play um, professionally, like in tournaments and stuff. Like, how does how do you look at that throughout the year? I mean, do are there certain events that you uh, are must attends for you? Because um, I know you, oh, I know you like to compete. I, I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I definitely like that, Freddie. I don't know. I can't even believe that I consider playing at all at this age based on how I thought when I was younger. You know, I thought 30 I would be done. And then Sudby came along and really inspired me to, I love the challenge. And then, you know, Sudby retired, but Kane and Jack came along and, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like almost 20 years older than those guys, 17, 18 years older. And I'm like, why not? I love testing myself. I love the game, love to compete. And I, so I did it and did real well with those guys and loved it. And then I decided that I got sick of, I was, I didn't feel like I needed to retire. I was sick of racquetball. But in 20 years, Freddie, I was never in my own bed 30 days in a row. And that just hit me. I'm like, God, this is not normal, you know, to do it your whole life. So that's when I stopped. But then when I watched the guys play, all of them, I still feel capable. And, uh, and I don't mean of just, you know, I've had some upsets here and there. And, uh, my favorite one was, you know, was beating Jose after he had just beaten Kane. That was really fun for me. I, oh, and then I think I just got Alvaro after he just won an IRT event. So it's, I constantly say to myself, why not? Why wouldn't I? And why not like see what a human being can do at 50 years old? That's, that's why I do it. And when I do it is usually just like pretty like if it's, Oh, Sarasota, that sounds fun. You know, it's going to be sunny. Um, there's a guy down there, Paul Newport, is a really good guy. He's ex-military, went to Afghanistan for us. He's using my rackets, and I just feel like going. So I'm going to go play, and it gives me a few weeks to sharpen up my game. I get Jake Bredenbeck in town. I'm going to play him tomorrow. So that's kind of how I pick now. Just Florida Beach Bash, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's March, and it's sunny, and that's just kind of how I pick him now. Right. How do you feel about I feel outdoor? Like I mean, I know you, you show up. <laughs> You always show up, you play. Um, for me, I think outdoor has been around for a little while. I just think that, you know, where overall racquetball is concerned, I still think a lot of people don't like consider it like racquetball. I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings uh -huh. about it. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an outdoor guy. So for me, that's all I've known in terms of somebody marginalizing it in their game. Um, what, what are your suggestions in terms of people who really want to enjoy the sport? I think it's, one of the most important parts of the overall success of the game right now because you know most sports like basketball tennis you know you can go out and play for free you can go outside and play in the sun you don't have to join a stuffy health club which you know they are to some people or they just don't like that atmosphere but then from that huge group of players that goes and plays these outdoor tournaments they get wind of you know bigger tournaments and indoor and then there's a few that want to try out the tour and I just think if that I think all ends of it especially outdoor racquetball just needs really really good people involved running it organizing it all the tournaments 
and getting young kids there. I just think every little faction needs great people to really turn this around and make it profitable for everybody. And the more profitable it is, the more successful the sport will, will be overall. I mean, we, you and I like it to be successful because we love it. But in order for that to happen, you know, lots of things need to go on and some bunch of people need to make money at it, right? Freddie? Right. I mean, it's a business, basically. Right. It's, right. It needs to be done properly so that people can, I don't know, like get the best of the best, you know, like the Doug Gannons of the world, really. That's a full-time job and it can't be done kind of half-ass, really, right. and expect right. well, spectacular results. So. Well, I think I think what you're talking about is kind of like, like almost a separate industry, like outdoor, indoor, I think. I kind of see it all as one big thing. I mean, if you pick up a racket, you're playing racquetball. It doesn't matter, especially if they're very similar. You know, in terms of like the way that you play the game. Um, I just think that outdoor for me is a gateway to indoor and vice versa. And I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of like the answer to, well, how many people actually play racquetball in the United States or around the world? You know, some people might look at, might just count indoor players. You know, and some people who are only used to outdoor might count their small group because they don't know anyone else. I just think that for me, um, nowadays, especially the way that things are going in the sport, it's just something that everyone should consider. It's like, hey, I play racquetball, period. It doesn't matter where I play. You know what I mean? It's like me going indoors. I go indoors. I get my butt kicked. You know, it's, it's kind of cool. So in terms of like players, are you coaching anyone that's touring now or just what's going on with that? Yeah, well, I get Charlie Pratt, Maria Vargas, Ceci uh, Pratt, and uh, one new guy that I'm really excited about. I'm just going to leave out his name for now since it's not 100%, but this is a guy that I think that actually, uh, oh, Kobe Iwasa too. I shouldn't leave him out even though he's, on, he's just on a little sabbatical right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this other guy that I'm thinking of, he's young, he's Super fit, super hungry, got a little edge to him, and it's a it's a name that uh, I don't think anybody who's listening to this will think of right away. Is he international? He is an, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll say that. So he's a uh, I'd say he's an automatic top eight if he goes to every tournament, and I'd be surprised if he wasn't top four real soon, and could be anybody on a given day. That's what I think. If he gets the right information and does all the things that he's supposed to do, I think all the the tools are there. Right, right. Well, you know, after this call, I'm going to ask you who that is, right? And you're going to tell me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it for sure. <laughs> um, um, what's your take on doubles racquetball? I mean, is it something that the sport could start looking at in terms of like building engagement or building the sport on? I mean, what's your take? What's your experience with doubles? I think it's really great. And I'm, I'm always thinking, I'm taking the average racquetball player. I'm, I'm putting them second. When people talk about one serve or two serve, they, they often throw their own opinions in there, like for, for their own game, that kind of thing. So what I'm talking about, I think doubles is spectacular. I'm talking about for the person who has never played. That's what we need more of, right? Sitting in the seats and then maybe picking up a racket someday because the, the rallies are a little bit longer. They're a little crazier. Uh, once you put four people on a court rather than two, not everybody gets along so great. Um, I think there should be way more of it. But the problem is the money. You know, now you need double the money. In. I mean, it's like adding another tour, right? I mean, we already have two that are too diluted. But that's I, that's what I think is, I think we need way more great outdoor stuff because of the atmosphere and because anybody can walk by. And I think we need way more double stuff. 
How do you feel about the international state of the game? I mean, we all know that like Mexico right now is trending to be the top of the food chain, although I wouldn't classify that quite yet. But there definitely is growth in Mexico and Central America. I mean, when when you were playing, what was that climate like, like compared to today? Is there is there a difference? Is it kind of like the same? How do you see it from where you stand? Well, when I was playing more, you know, I'd go to Paris every year, uh, Tokyo. So mine was like more Europe and there was really nothing in South America as far as tournaments go. And there was no players from down there. And now it's really taken off and it's really, really cool. And I've been down there. I mean, you see like open level girl players in Mexico at 14, 15 years old. I mean, it's really encouraging, but I hope the same thing doesn't happen here. Somebody is going to have to, going to have to be a real business. I'm not saying that I can do any of that stuff. But I just know that it just can't be only the person who just happens to love the game and, I don't know, quit their other job and now is in charge of this. And they're not really qualified to take it to another level. And sometimes that works great, but that's what I just really hope and pray that it expands further, not levels off and then then worse, you know. But like the portable courts down in, in Mexico is spectacular. And the, I've been to Bolivia and the outdoor but covered courts. I mean, they're regular indoor courts, but the outdoor facility and kids can go in there and play for free. You know, it's built by the government and there are three, two three wall glass courts and eight or 10 glass back wall and concession stands, and stadium seating around. It's really, really great. And yeah. I hope it. You're talking about Mexico, right? Goes to them. Uh, well, that, uh, that court, I, uh, that situation I was just talking about was Bolivia. Oh, Bolivia. Wow. Uh huh. But yeah, Mexico also, obviously. Yeah. Is it, does it blow your mind like where Paula's taking it? That's <laughs> great. Yeah, she's done an amazing job. I don't, I mean, she's, now there's a girl's like, she's doing everything she's supposed to do. She always shows up super fit, 100% effort on the court every time, dresses properly, um, handles herself really well, and the results. I mean, just look at the results, right? I mean, they're as they should be. You know, she's earned it and deserves it. And she, uh, you know, I'd like, I hope that happens more around the world and eventually back here again. I don't think it's out of the question. I remember uh, last time we were talking about some of the top guys and you were giving me your opinions. You know, we were talking about Jake and all those guys. Dude, when I see Jake, I see somebody who probably has all the tools to be able to do whatever he wants to do and just doesn't get there. What's your thoughts on that guy? Um, I think exactly what you think. I think he's got all the tools. I think he's very competitive, physical beast. I mean, probably one of the best movers around the court of anybody I've ever seen at that size. Hits the ball super hard. I think his uh, shot selection can be real poor at times. Sometimes totally normal and high percentage and then out of nowhere sometimes. Like, what was that, you know? And I don't know why he does that. I'm not sure. Um, but in a game to 11 against the best players in the world, that just can't happen. Right. You know, you're usually not going to get away with that. Right. So if you're usually not going to get away with that, that probably means you're not going to win four matches in a row. You might upset the number one guy in the world, but then you're likely to lose to the number two guy the next day. Right. You know, it's just with that kind of loose shot selection. I don't know why uh, it's like that, but that's the only knock I have on it. I think a little bit of mechanics stuff could really help him on some cer- on certain things, but. Do you know if he's yeah, working he's, with anybody? He's uh, I don't. I I know he was working with Jim Winter. I don't know if he still is or not. Right. What, I'll what talk about that one with you off the record? <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Cool. Um. I look forward to that. Uh. If that's the case, like since you started coaching seriously, professionally mm-hmm. coaching, what's your relationship to like the more established? 
coaches out there who've been around for like forever, like the Winnerdens and with my relationship with them. Yeah. How are people, you know, obviously players view you as really highly qualified and stuff like that. I mean, what's, um, what's your take on these guys? Mm-hmm. Do they give you attitude? I mean, it's- I'll tell you this. Like I love Fran Davis. I think she's awesome. Great motivator. Great lady. We have no differences whatsoever. I don't even consider any other coach a competitor of mine in any way. Right. I, I just think that mostly we just teach people, C and B and A players, how to enjoy the game more. And then occasionally a pro comes up to us and asks them to coach. And I don't, I see the two players as competitors. If they want my help, I facilitate them, you know, to reach their goal. Right. And Jim Winner, on the other hand, has flat out told me that I'm a competitor of his. And even though he said that, I still don't see that, but he's been completely different to me. And because he, now sees us as competitors. I don't like the way he. Uh, I don't like the way he speaks to me wow. anymore. So that's that's how I feel about him. Wow. Uh, to, a, to put it mildly, yeah. I mean, it's not like I there's would, a shortage of players. With that, it's not like there's a shortage of players. I mean, you know, the way I see it, coaches are just like professionals. It is what you make of it. I mean, I've known you for a few years, and I've I've seen you transition from someone who mostly played, you know, maybe had a couple of students here, to to now you've made coaching and facilitating racquetball your business, you know. So, but you've actively gone out and made the decision to do that. You know, you've had some growing pains where that concern and but for me coaching how is how is that any different from being a professional i mean you know you're actively pursuing something that you're you have goals with you know it's kind of like two players on the court you know you may not like each other but you kind of got to respect each other because you're both without the other i mean i don't know i uh, i don't i don't even know what i want to say i just find that it's weird you know <laughs> it's so weird yeah it's like i, I just can't even believe the, the way the way that he's spoken to me you know, and uh, like it, before this, if someone asked me like, hey, should what do you think of Jim Winter and should I, you know, should I get coached by him? I'm like, sure, absolutely. You live in Arizona. Here he is. His number. Well, how can I help you? Reach him. You know, that's what I would have done before. Right. And now uh, I, I just wouldn't do anything to to help out. Just, just, just from the way he's spoken to me. That's it. You know, right. um, and, and then as far as the coaching thing goes, Freddie, like the. This is some of the stuff that just blows my mind. Okay, so if if I was, say, number 10 in the world, and I wanted to be number one in the world, and, and, and Marty Hogan was number one in the world, and Marty Hogan had a coach, I wouldn't go ask, I would not go ask Marty Hogan's coach to be my coach, and if he asked me if he could coach me, I would tell him no, because I know that he is not going to give me, he's likely not going to give me 100%. If all of his money, his whole world is on Marty Hogan, doing well what is going to happen when i go to play with marty hogan am i going to you going to give me all the best advice right you know are you going to tell me how to beat him the answer is no right right i mean so just like the, I, i'm i don't understand why jake or anybody on the pro tour would seek the advice of someone helping the number one guy well i that mean you know you you could make the case for fran davis too i mean i love fran davis but under those conditions, if I was, say, you know, like in the top 10 IRT ranked mm-hmm. or even like, a well, not necessarily WRT, but like IRT, say if I was ranked, you know, number seven, number six or something under those conditions, I probably wouldn't ask Fran Davis either. If you think about it, because she has Rocky, Rocky's number two. I mean, what happens when you're playing Rocky? You know what I mean? 
yeah, there's going to be some allegiance there. Right. right. And, but that uh, makes the case for, for guys like you and guys like Sudsy, right? It's not like you guys are, are not available for these kinds of situations. I think something like that would be really, really healthy. I mean, what would the top four or five look like if you had more than two coaches behind the top five players? Like a really dramatic scenario, imagine, you know, it's like you got, you got Kane and Rocky and then, Someone you're coaching, someone Sudsy's coaching, and then maybe someone's Jason's coaching a top five. I mean, how interesting would that be? There's a lot of backstory there, yeah, that, too. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's what goes on in tennis right now. Like you have Lendo coaching, Becker coaching, Edberg coaching, things like that, right? Right. Um, um, you know, and, I, and more. I can't, I can't think of who else right now, but anyway. See, but that's one of the things that I think come into play, too, when you start talking about the, the professional tours in general i think if they could get their shit together not that they don't individually have their stuff together but if like they were able to come together and aggregate all the positives together and with that draw new money it affects a lot of different things so not only would you have more players being able to compete because they're after more money because theoretically they probably would be able to draw more money together than they do separately it's kind of like a one plus one equals three type thing in my opinion that's what i thought like with me and jim you know like we could work together right right larger group stuff and then when it's time to be competitive with each other if that's what you want to call it you know my pro against your pro fine you know for a couple hours we're competing and that's it other than that we should work together and grow the sport that's how i thought I think his reaction and his poor behavior is fear. That's what I think. Right. But anyway, I was here to help and now I'm not. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, but the the good thing about those kinds of things is you can recognize it and you can kind of turn it around. I think a lot of it and the sport in general is a lot of like self-identification. Who were we? Who do we want to be? That kind of thing. Because I talk about the tours all the time because that's the way that I follow the sport. I mean, you know, I play outdoor, right? I I was introduced yep. to, to racquetball because I play paddleball and then all of a sudden I started like swinging a racket, you know? And it's like now, like right. I travel, I get to meet you. I get to count you as one of my friends. I mean, I point to racquetball for those kinds of things. And that for me signals growth. But I like to follow it. I like the pros. I like watching them. And I think... You know, if they could get their stuff together, how interesting would it be if we were able to kind of build all this synergy where it's like, not only do we have a really, really thriving professional environment, but it's thriving enough where it makes sense to include people who are actively growing their own pockets of the sport or really busy in the sport. For instance, I, you know, you, Sudsy, you guys are off, you're doing this thing, you know, in terms of like coaching and kind of like affecting all these different pockets of players. But then there's still something that draws you guys together in the spirit of competition. You may not be on the court, but it could be kind of like the effects that you guys have on the court. You know what I mean? Whether it's coaching top players, a top five player or something like that. I think I'm an idealist. I'd love to see something like that. Yeah, me too, for sure. Me too. I, I think, yeah, if the sport was really doing really, really well and was healthy and the players were all being rewarded very well, you know, those names of coaches, possible coaches you mentioned would all be there. You know, we'd still fill some competitive juices, some needs, you know, and uh, the players would be getting the best advice and take like a supreme competitor like Nino and inject that into somebody who's, you know, could use it. And then, then the information of shot selection and fundamentals, and you're just going to 
the players would get better and then the fans get a better product and it's just all all uh, works hand in hand. So right. hopefully someday. All right, cool. All right, well, um, yeah. thanks for your time. Dude, when am I going to see you again? Is it going to be Nationals in, I don't know. in California? Yeah. No, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'll be there for that. Yeah, I'll see you there, Freddie. All right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I want to thank Cliff Swain for taking the time to talk with me again. I always enjoy our conversations. If you want to know more about Cliff and what he's doing today, please check him out at cliffswain.com. And please visit the Reaching Your Dream Foundation. If you believe in pro racquetball, please consider being a part of their ambassador program. I want to thank Head Racquetball for their continued support of our efforts online with restrongmagazine.com. And of course, Gearbox Racquetball for their truly engaged support of what I do and where and how I play. I love swinging their rackets and wearing their gear. It totally fits with the racquetball lifestyle. Check them out at GearboxRB.com. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Racquetball Restrung. Be well and keep playing racquetball.